This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS Radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there, too. Welcome to HITS Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today, I have another one of our HITS instructors on with us. I have Jason Ferguson, and, and Jason owns Highline Canine Training, and he's been a longtime supporter of HITS. He's uh, been one of our vendors, like one of our good vendors for many years, and he's taught quite a few different classes. Always well-received, always does really uh, well-thought-out, well-prepared classes. So I'm excited to get him on here. This is the first time I've had him on the podcast. I'm excited to kind of pick his brain on the class he's teaching this year in Orlando and uh, just to introduce you to him and let you hear some of his background and some of the stuff that they got going on at Highline Canine. So uh, with that, how are you doing today, Jason? I'm great. Great. Hope you are. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to jump on. Can you go through your background a little bit for our listeners and tell us a little bit about yourself and about your uh, company? Yeah. Uh, first of all, thanks thanks for having me on. Uh, again, my name is Jason Ferguson. Uh, my wife and I own Highland Canine Training. Our main facility is here in North Carolina. Um, we've got uh, satellites all over the southeastern U.S. and Pacific Northwest. We are a sort of multifaceted dog training business. We got started about 16 years ago. Prior to that, uh, I was a law enforcement officer. I was sworn uh, sworn in the state of North Carolina for a little over 20 years. Spent about 10 years full-time in t- working tech ops and handling a dog as well as training dogs for our agency, as well as supervising our uh, dog teams. Uh, we we were a smaller department. We had five um, five dogs, uh, all dual dogs. Uh, and that was back yeah. uh, starting in the mid '90s through early mid 2000s. Were you one After, of the first people working dogs in your agency? Yeah, our uh, <laughs> make a long story short, our, our department. Uh, prior to me coming to work for that department, had sort of a history with police dogs. They had sure. a bad taste in their mouth. Things didn't go well with a previous sure. uh, police dog or two, and uh, they had been without dogs for a while. They were on a binge writing grants and uh, <laughs> ended up getting a grant that, that sort of forced them to buy a dog uh, reluctantly, and uh, they did so. I got chosen to be the handler, and we had a real good run there for, for a number of years, and it really changed the department's attitude about police dogs. They saw some benefits, saw what dogs were able to do. And over the coming years, we were able to add four more. So it was uh, it was an uphill battle, but one that was overall successful. That agency still has dogs. I've, I hadn't been with that department since, like I said, mid mid two thousands, and kind of coming full circle. That agency ended up buying a couple dogs from us in the last few years. Oh, that's cool. So, uh, it was kind of a cool story. Yeah. Had you before you got that dog with your agency? Did you have any involvement with dogs uh, before that? Yeah, I had, um, we sort of growing up, bred, bred some labs, and uh, I'd done some dog shows of labs and done some training and, and, and that sort of thing. And even before I got into law sure. enforcement, I had done, yeah. done some work with dogs, mostly Labradors, but also done work with pet dogs as well prior to that. And then, uh, like I said, started in law enforcement. My work prior to law enforcement is one of the reasons why I got chosen to be a handler without having tons and tons and tons of experience like some of the other guys yeah. who put in for the position. So it did give me a bit of a leg up. Sure, absolutely. 
so you did that for a while, and then at some point you decided you wanted to get your business going too, I assume. Yeah, um, I left, left law enforcement, went to work for another vendor here in North Carolina that for a year or two, and then wife and I decided, decided we were going to start our own business, and that's how we ended up here in, uh, in the foothills of North Carolina. We started off offering pet dogs shortly thereafter, decided we were going to get back into police dogs, and it took us a... Took us a while. It didn't take off quite as quickly as we wanted sure. to on the police dog side of things. It's a, it's a it's difficult market to break into. Yeah, it's a tough business. <laughs> so, tough business. <laughs> uh, it can be tough business sometimes. So we, you know, we did uh, we did pet dogs and continue to do those. So, but uh, it, it it didn't take us take us too too awful long. We were we were persistent, and uh, after about a year of being in business, we we were able to sort of crack back into that police yeah. dog market. Yeah. So I've been doing it ever since. So that's going on what fifteen, sixteen years now. It sounds like. Yeah, about sixteen years. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I know that a lot of vendors, uh, some some vendors, when we're talking about police dog vendors, they do a little of everything, and some kind of find a, a niche and something. Um, are you on either end of that, or just kind of take what comes away? Well, when it comes to working dogs, we do a little bit of everything. We do sure. we do police dogs to do um, search and rescue, cadaver. We done some con- conservation dogs here in the last yeah. probably four or five years we trained the first bumblebee detection dog oh wow in the western hemisphere about a year and a half ago we're training the second one now uh, so we've done uh, i get that i want to dig into that that's cool yeah. who, who uh, has a bumblebee dog um her name's jacqueline Staub. she's with uh, appalachian state university she is um she's a biologist who who looks at uh, different bumblebee species uh, her particular interest is the alpine bumblebee uh-huh. um those are found in you know, alpines uh, above ten thousand feet uh so she does a lot of work with the dogs out in colorado interesting yeah in the rockies um those particular bumblebees are a, sort of a keystone species yeah. and, and because of that they're pretty you know pretty important yeah she got to doing some research and found where uh, a dog had been trained to do some bumblebees on the other side of the world and uh, looked into some research. She reached out to a couple of people. Lots of folks told her it couldn't be done. We're we're not those type of folks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're the type of folks that <laughs> always say, well, we'll give it a shot. And yeah. uh, that dog, um, his name was Darwin, uh, was incredibly successful in finding uh, bumblebee habitats out in, in the Rockies and in Colorado. Huh. He passed away several months ago. Uh, with a with a pretty uh, pretty uh, nasty GI oh, issue, yeah. so we're we're currently training his replacement uh, at the moment. Another oh, that's cool. I, German I just, short hair pointer. Yeah, so. I just didn't, I'd never heard of that, but I mean, there's there's so many different uh, things that are coming up now. It's just cool to hear new ones. So that's 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 a new one for me. Yeah, people people look at us a little funny when we tell them it's a bumblebee detection <laughs> dog. So. Well, I think the good thing is that uh, people probably, if, you know, civilians that think, oh, God, I'd, I'd be worried about getting bit by a bee. But once you've been bit by Malinois a few times, a bee doesn't seem like too big of a deal. So Yeah, it's no big deal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no big deal. So we, you know, we, we do a little bit of everything, but we we sort of pride ourselves in specializing in detection, probably more so than anything. We've done a lot of, a lot of work in regards to detection, detection dogs, detection dog training. Over the last six, seven years, we've put a lot of time and effort into research, uh, trying to create improvement Okay. Uh, with detection dogs and, and detection teams. So that's one of our, our things we really like to focus on. 
And obviously, you guys sell dogs. Do you breed your own dogs, or do you uh, source dogs and then resell them? We uh, we do both. We import dogs, uh, and we do some breeding. Uh, most of the breeding we do is with Labradors. Yeah. You know, as you as you, I'm sure you know the the market's been been hit pretty hard on the Labrador yeah, side, and, and finding good labs is a little more difficult these days than it was ten years ago. So, yeah. um, about four or five years ago, we started a uh, we had such a demand for labs, and they were so hard to get. We started our own breeding program to uh, make sure that we had an ample supply of Labradors, good solid working labs. And does that uh, turn out pretty good? Because I've I've always heard it. I've never done any breeding, but I've heard some hit and miss where, uh, you know. It, it just isn't really worth financially. It's not worth the, the investment. But are you, is your, uh, are you in an average litter? Are you getting mostly working dogs out of it? We are. Yeah. I mean, a, a, a large majority of them are working dogs. Uh, we had a litter of 13. We trained up the 13. We trained 11 or 12 of them for detection. They ended up being police dogs in the okay. field. Yeah. Uh, single purpose, either drug or bomb dogs. Yeah. Uh, so we've had some. Tremendous success. We've been able to work with some partners in the industry that have helped us increase our litter sizes through nutrition. You know, all sorts of stuff we've been able to put in place to have a lot more success than what you what you hear other people in the industry sure. having. So we've been we've been real fortunate there to have people who could help us along the way uh, to produce some yeah. some real solid uh, detection labs. Oh, that's outstanding. It's good to hear. And then this year you're teaching a class at Hits. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, we we like to uh, as you as you know we like to do something every time we teach yeah. hits we like to do a different class. Um, this year's is going to be one we've not taught before, so hopefully hopefully people will find it interesting. This year's class is going to be focusing on some common problems that we've we've seen over the years that dog teams are having and some strategies for resolving those problems. These aren't really behavioral issues, which we taught on in the past. These are more sure. training issues. You know, everybody knows that a lot of the guys and gals out there working with dogs are having issues that seem to be recurring. You know, yeah. issues with call-offs, issues with outs, yeah. certain issues with detection functions as well as even trailing, and, and we're going we're gonna to be talking about those. We're putting together, uh, hopefully, a real solid class um, that's going to cover obviously not everybody's issue, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but some of the more common ones that we're seeing, and, and, and again showing some some techniques and some strategies that are proven to help people make some improvements with those problems and and hopefully resolve them. Uh, and you know we like to give people information they can take back home, yeah, and they can employ right away things that they can understand yeah. while they're in the class and. My classes are often very conversational, so yeah, I like good, engagement. Good I like people class. to ask questions. Yeah. I want to make sure folks are understanding the information we're putting out there. So, you know, hopefully we can, we're, we're hoping to get some information out this year that people can find to be pretty useful. Yeah. So let's jump into one of those. Uh, I always like to give people a couple of things when they listen to this podcast. So I'm sure in your class there's uh, quite a few different problems, but, uh, Let's talk about pick one off your off of your class, and let's talk about uh, a common problem that that we've you know that you've seen, or we, maybe a lot of people have seen, and and some of the ideas that you're uh, putting in in the class to to fix that problem. Well, you know, one of them on the patrol dog side. Again, we're not just talking about patrol dog sure. stuff. The the objective is going to be to cover detection, patrol functions, trailing, a little bit of you name it. So, um, well, let me but, let know, me jump in real quick on that. Is that yeah. one of the things that I always tell everybody when you're looking like at at our classes? It hits that say you work a single purpose bomb dog, 
and then there's a class and you think it's a patrol dog class, well, go to the class. Because even if they're talking about bite work, they're talking about whatever, they're still talking about training dogs. And they're talking about dog psychology and how to how to change the dog's behavior in a way that's beneficial to us. So I just wanted to jump in and, and say, you know, I mean, I, I like people to understand that you can get something out of every single class you go to as long as you have the, the right mindset. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's a great point. We've, you know, if you're not a supervisor, if you're a brand new handler and they're offering a supervisor class, go to the supervisor absolutely. class because yeah. there's something you're going to be able to take away from it yeah. um, that you can use if you go in with an open mind. You know, as you put it, going in with that, the, the right mindset, it's going to yeah. gonna determine how much you're able to get out of any class. Yeah. So sorry to jump in, but uh, so go ahead. You were talking about with Control Dog. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, one of the things that we see pretty consistently in teaching seminars and, and, and going out and doing training with guys is the recalls yeah, and the call-offs. Absolutely. You know, giving people consistently trouble. You know, everybody has their own style of doing it. And we're not the type of people who are going to say this way is the only way uh, sure. we understand that when sure. dealing with but dogs, animals, biological creatures. There's a lot of different approaches. And, you know, there are a lot of different strategies. You know, if you've tried three and they didn't work, we're hoping to bring you four, five, and six sure. that <laughs> might work yeah. because what works for one dog we know won't work for all of them. So, you know, that's one of the things that we want to we wanna talk about. And, and again, have some discussions with people. We, we're hoping to get some folks into the class who are willing to share some of their yeah. experiences with us and some of their problems and, and, and give us an opportunity to try to help yeah. them to, to develop some strategies yeah. and plans to, yeah. to, to fix that. Because, you know, as, as, as anybody knows who's ever worked a dog, there's always something about that dog that you know or want uh, to make better. You want to improve oh, absolutely. on it. Absolutely. They're never perfect. You always want to make yeah. improvements. <laughs> and, so, uh, so, you know, have more tools in your toolbox or yeah. is going to be able to help you with that. So uh, let's let's just go deeper into that. If I if I come to your class, you know, and maybe it's whatever kind of class, when I get there, you realize that my dog's having, you know, is blowing through all of my recalls. What are what, how, what, what are you going to do when you first start trying to problem solve that, that particular problem? The first thing we do, and this goes with any type of training problem, behavioral problem, is we want to know as much information about what the problem is, right? So this is something we're going to, we're, we're hoping to help people with in the class is to, to help them develop strategies for finding out what the root of the problem is. Instead of, you know, as we've seen over the years, people end up throwing band-aids on stuff that are very temporary because they don't understand what the root of the problem is. And because they don't understand what the root of the problem is, they, you know, it's, it's oftentimes sort of this trial and error yeah. approach. Yeah. You know, this worked for this guy, so try this. And, you know, I had this other guy who said this this thing worked for him, so I tried that. And yeah. neither of them worked for me. Yeah. And they didn't work for you because you're not dealing, your dog's not blowing off the recalls for the same reason that their dog blew off the recall. Exactly, exactly. So one of the first things we want to do with this class is to give people some information on how to uh, look at this sort of totality of circumstances, really sort of understanding, uh, understanding the dog, understanding why they're doing what they're doing that's causing us this problem or this heartburn. Yeah. And then from there, developing a system or a plan of action to mediate that problem. So, so the first thing you're going to do, they're, they're they're blowing the recall. 
you're not even going to start work on recalls. I assume you're going to do some type of, of, you know, like a, a basic selection test on the dog, somewhere where you're going to start to be able to understand that dog's psychological profile. Where yeah, you can absolutely. Kind of That's the first thing we want to understand. We want to understand the dog's learning history. You know, yeah. what's been done in the past yeah. to try to fix this problem. What has shown some success, even if it's a little bit, and what has shown no success? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. what's, what's, what's made it worse? What's made it better? Sure. Uh, so we want to understand that as well. And then once you get some of that information, you you understand some of the dog's training history, maybe how old he is, and you and I assume at the same time you're probably also trying to get a little feel for the handler, how capable is this handler, and what's the dog relationship with the handler? I assume. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and because that's that's important. You know, it's a marriage, absolutely. Yeah. and uh, it really is a lot of times fifty fifty. So if if one one party in that equation is bringing everything to the table and the other part's giving them half uh yeah <laughs> you're never going to get 100 percent. yeah and it seems like on some of these things especially when you start talking about release and recall uh, probably the top two in my mind those are where you if you want to describe it as a marriage those are where the marriages fall apart because you know the the handlers get frustrated and the dog loses trust in the handler and it kind of turns into a vicious circle when the when the dog is resistant to the training and the handler doesn't have any other method as opposed to just keep trying the same thing over and over yeah even though it's not working exactly. you know they, they're they're they don't have enough information to create another solid strategy yeah. so they yeah. just continue to do the same thing and sometimes they can actually make the situation worse or as you said sort of spoil that relationship even yeah. more yeah. and 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 that's what we want to try to help people not fall into yeah because it's real easy and it's it's you know it's super frustrating um, I, when you asked me about some of the stuff I was going to talk about, one well, that was one of them because that was one of the things that we find to be the most frustrating for not only new handlers but for for experienced handlers as well. When you get a dog that <laughs> just blows you off, yeah, and and oftentimes it's we, we find it's not it's not a dog that understands what they want to do and is just electing to blow you off. What we understand a lot of times is it's these dogs oftentimes are confused, they're in conflict. Yeah. There's a trust issue, as you yeah. put it, or there's something else going on that we need to get to the bottom of to understand why this is happening. If we yeah. can't understand why it's happening, we will not ever be able to come up with an effective plan to fix it. Yeah. So once you get some of those ideas and some of that, that information, obviously, you know, the answer to my question as to what you're going to do next is very dependent on what all that information is. But do you have some techniques that are working well for you? To, you know to start getting the dog to recall on a more consistent basis well it depends on it, it is pretty dependent sure. it, and it really sort of depends on that prior learning history you know one of the things we're going to look at is motivators what motivates this dog and then we're going to you know we're going to oftentimes suggest to handlers to sit down for just a minute pen and paper and catalog motivators right which uh, dogs oftentimes aren't motivated by one thing yeah they're generally going to be motivated by multiple things right so yeah. when we take these five, six, ten things that this dog's motivated by, what then is at the pinnacle of that hierarchy yeah, of yeah. motivators, right? What's the most important thing in this dog's life? What is something they'll work for, but they could probably live without, right? Yeah. Because we need to understand what motivates them. We need to catalog those motivators, and we need to understand that hierarchy so we can know what to use when. Because if we're using the wrong motivator, at the wrong time that can create tons and tons of issues for us yeah you know if you want a dog to uh, troll dog 
that's super motivated by putting their teeth into stuff and you want them to jump over a six foot wall a tug a bite sleeve a person in a bite suit might be a great motivator for them sure but you, you're not probably not going to want to use that same motivator if you're trying to work on a two-minute downstay yeah yeah so you know understanding the right motivators and reinforcers uh and applying them at the right time understanding how timing is important to making sure that i our communication with the dog is clear. All of those factors are things that we see as sort of uh, points along the way that can lead to these frustrations and trouble. Uh, Absolutely. With getting the dog to do what we want them to. Absolutely. And those are probably the, the more common ones on the uh, patrol side that you're seeing is recall and release. On the detector side, what are some common problems that uh, people are asking you to help with? NPRs is probably one of the bigger ones. Um, those non-productive responses. Yeah. Uh, and there's lots of reasons for those. Yeah. Understanding what those reasons are, and then trying to create a situation where the dog clearly understands that there's really nothing in this equation for them if they're yeah. giving us non-productive responses. And then the only way that they're going to get out of this what they want is for them to give us what we want. Yeah. Which is a productive positive indication of target odor so i mean you and i have never had this discussion before but in the in in the grand scheme of things you have a dog that does either an npr or a false alert whatever we want to call it would you say one of the most important tools that we don't have is the patience to just do nothing and let the dog figure it out and that is 95 percent of the time our go-to solution uh, yeah <laughs> and, and it's just and funny that's an that, easy one yeah. <laughs> and it seems real easy but you know it, it it frustrates people to no end and nobody wants to be the person who just stands there with their with their yep. hands in their pocket so to speak doing nothing when this dog is giving us the wrong answer yeah yep and uh for us you know a lot of times is just just waiting them out and letting them figure out that nothing good is going to come from this behavior yep I agree, and that's. It took me. It took me a long time to kind of learn that. Once I wrap my head around it, uh, I will say. I, I imagine you probably have seen it also. Is that when I do have the patience and I have a handler that has the patience, some dogs are a little bit more stubborn. We wait a long time, but by the, when we have to wait the second time, it's a substantially less period of time. It's like then the do yeah. dog starts turning their brain on and realizing. All right, that didn't work. I got to figure this out on my own, and and dad or mom's not telling me anything, so I got to go back to work. Yep. Yeah. And I tell everybody, hey, we get paid by the hour, so we'll yeah. sit there for the next forty minutes. We we're getting paid. For exactly. It, so no, and we no make home, no and we make overtime later, so we'll. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah, and and that's the thing that that drives particularly younger handlers crazy sometimes, is you know why am I going to let this dog sit here and give me this behavior when i know he's wrong yeah yeah and and you know our it, it sometimes takes us a while to get get them to understand that that dog can learn a lot more in the grand scheme of things by sitting here giving you this yep long response at nothing because what they're learning is no matter how hard they try nothing good's going to come from it yep then they can by giving you a you know 10 second, two second, five second response at target odor. They can learn just as much from one equation as they can the other. Yep, and I'm, I'm a firm believer that telling them no is the same, is just as bad or worse than telling them yes 
when they're right. You're giving the dog too much information either way. They need to yeah, be Yeah, we're giving them the answers. Yeah, they need to be independent and convince you that the odors mm-hmm. are not. What about uh, dogs that are aggressive in the odor? I'm sure you got to deal with that sometimes. So, uh, Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's one of the other things that, that sort of, for us, falls in the same line. Um, particularly when we get green dogs in or we get new dogs in or aggressive um, we use HDP boxes a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times for our training, behavior shape and certain things. Just, you know, the 10-inch square boxes yeah. with the holes in the yeah. top. And we get dogs that want to want to bite and they want to scratch and they want to do all sorts of stuff. And, you know, everybody knows that most agencies about 15 years ago went away from dogs that do any of that. Yeah. When it comes, yeah. to, <laughs> it comes yeah. to Oda 20 years ago, everybody said, whoa, we can, we can now move away from this, yeah. um, even though it was industry standard forever. That that's another one where we will a lot of times early on in training when that dog starts to aggress that box, what we do is simply control the environment in a way that they can't be rewarded from it. Uh huh. Yep. And just let them scratch into oblivion. Let them bite into oblivion yeah. to some degree. Let them let them do it and do it and do it in a way that it makes an impact on them. But the objective in the in the end of the game is you got nothing from it. Yeah. Yep. So what we do is we, in essence, extinct that behavior. We, we are intentionally working to get rid of and extinct that behavior, make sure it doesn't come back later. Yeah. And by if the- we don't take the time in training to extinct the behavior, it can spontaneously occur in an operational environment or later on in training or in some other exactly. environment down the road. Yep. Yep. So it goes back to that, that, that word patience. Yeah, and that takes a lot of patience, especially when they're destroying your box. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's, I've, I've found that that works really good too. I'll use a like a metal filing cabinet with no handles on it or anything, and have at it, buddy. Do what you want. Yep, just let them go for it. Yeah, sooner or later you're gonna get bored, and and then they'll give you some other behavior. So and then you capture it, and then they start to understand. Exactly. This is what I want. Mm-hmm. Yep, and they figure it out all on their own. So one of the things I really like about uh, you know having this uh, business that I have and, and meeting handlers and trainers from all over the places. It's really cool how, uh, you know, I had a magazine. When I remember when I started that magazine, then even with hits, everybody was like, you know, all, you know, you, the only thing that handlers can agree on or trainers can agree on is what the other one's doing different. And I just don't see that. I, and I think, you know, here's a good example. You know, I've met each other many times over the years, but we've never really talked dog training. And here we are never never trained once together and we're so much on the same page that i just find it refreshing that as an industry i think there's so many more commonalities than there are differences anymore that it's just showing our profession has really evolved quite a bit i'm sure you've probably seen that too oh yeah absolutely and it's it's I'm, i've been accused of being a pretty impatient person so it hadn't it hadn't made the progress that I want because, like I said, I'm super impatient. <laughs> yeah. Everything happened now, but but yeah, I mean, over the years, it, it has definitely taken some pretty big strides, and that's um, it's a really good thing to see. Absolutely. Well, Jason, I'm looking forward to seeing your uh, class again this year, and looking forward to to having you there at Hits in Orlando. So uh, I appreciate the time taken today to you know, jump out of your schedule to get on here, and maybe uh, we'll we'll. Uh, get this episode out it'll probably uh get a few questions from some of these things once i get a few of those questions and i'll probably get you back on and maybe we'll go over some of the listener questions that we get from this episode yeah absolutely be love uh love to do it and again we're looking looking forward to hits is always 
a super great show for everybody for yeah. <laughs> you know from what i could tell for 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 the handlers for the vendors i mean it's always a, a great great show well, i appreciate that well thanks for your time today and we will talk to you real soon awesome look forward to it thanks Take care. this is the official hits training and consulting podcast we are america's law enforcement canine training resource we're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. Hits Radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too.